My dog barked at Chaz Smith. Not an I'll show this newcomer who is the alpha of this house type of bark. No, it was an aggressive bark. My dog barked at Chaz, in part because Chaz had barked at him. I enjoy Chaz's writing. It's witty, smart, and explosive. First at Surfing Magazine and for a few years now at Beach Grit. And both of his books, Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell, and his newest, Cocaine and Surfing, A Sordid Love Affair, they're honest and daring. He tends to swat at the ridiculous in surfing. A good aggressive swat, as if trying to smack the lint and dog hair off of a black sweater. Some of it comes off. Some finds another position on the sweater. Most of it is stubborn. A big chunk of surfing's ethos is based in selfishness and vanity. Those two things are stubborn. Chaz is tall, maybe 6'3", long arms, a hawkish nose, steely eyes that foretell his intelligence. He's polite, courteous, and businesslike. My short visit with Chaz also suggested to me that there is humility, a willingness, an open-mindedness, a kindness. When Chaz left, my dog sat comfortably. He did not bark. The Boardroom Podcast interview with Chaz Smith. Let us begin. Chaz Smith, this is the Boardroom Show podcast, and I'm joined now. Oh, my name is Scott Bass. I'm joined now by Chaz Smith, who's the author of Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell, and his most recent book, Cocaine and Surfing, A Sordid History of Surfing's Greatest Love Affair. Chaz, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Now, um, sometimes you and I, I've never met you, but it seems like I know you. We've communicated via text. I've seen you. Around, you yeah, know? I've seen you at stuff. At yeah, the, at the boardroom show, I saw you. Right, you were too busy for me to really come over and say hi. Yeah, I mean, you're in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I get, I get a little, I get a little involved there for sure. But um, so, I'd like to start this thing off with a couple of simple questions that that are not really out of the box. But um, who is the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time? Greatest rock and roll drummer of all time, you know. I'm going to throw a curveball in here just because I heard it on the radio on the way over. Uh, is it whoever the drummer, whichever the drummer was for Emerson, Lake, and Palmer? Uh, is it is it Palmer? I don't know. Is it Lake? It should be Palmer. I don't know. What were you listening to, Howard? Uh, no, NPR. Oh. And they had they did a whole thing on, on Copeland's, uh, whatever it is, Fanfare for the Common Man. You know that song? I think it's the Olympic song now, or the one they use for NBC. Oh, right. Um, cool. And yeah, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, they had their version of it. And I thought, oh, I used to like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer back when I was a kid, back before I knew that music made you uncool. That's that's such a random reference, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I'm not sure. I know I've heard a bunch of their songs. I'm not sure. It's that real random, like... Is it like Nights in White Satin? It's like super random. Like I think they discovered uh, keyboards and electronic instruments and thought this is the greatest thing ever. And so it just went on like an electronic tear. But it's like – it sounds like the Disneyland uh, mm. Electric Parade or whatever that thing is called. The, right. yeah, it's just like bizarre kind of pops generic and crack. Yeah, bit. it's just weird. It's, yeah. it's kind of weird music. But my dad, when I was a – a very young boy. <laughs> my dad put on a record, and I really thought it was awesome. Is your, was your dad musical? Yeah, he plays piano and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, he still so plays. Okay. He does, yeah. What about you? 
No, I have not one bone in my body. My brother is musical. He plays everything, but I got nothing. I How many pick, brothers and sisters? I got one brother and younger brother and an older sister. Okay. So I'm the classic middle child, which I heard also on NPR. I just heard this. That it's going away. Yes. The middle child is getting phased out. I read this. Yeah. It made me really happy to be a dying breed. Yeah. I told my wife, she's a middle child. And I said, you know what? The middle child's leaving us and- we're gone. Yeah. So I'm glad I got a hold of one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is, this is going to be a, a real plus for the show, having one of the rare middle children it's on the of, show. It's kind of fat. Actually, Maverick is like the new middle child. Right? See, that's it, dog. Yeah, I have a middle You've, child at home. Yeah. I've been my, replaced by a dog, Chess. I, so my whole, not only me, every one of me, like all the middle children, your wife has been right. replaced by a dog. Right. That's really sad. Well, maybe it's not sad. Maybe middle children are all <laughs> bastards. It's a fascinating subject. Actually, I'm sure NPR did a good take on it. I'd like to get into that more, but I'm unprepared for the middle child discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever listened to a Grateful Dead song from start to finish? Uh, yes, I have. I listened to, I've even oddly and unfortunately listened to a whole Grateful Dead show from start to finish. Uh, like a, <laughs> so it was unfortunate. It was, yeah. Are you, a, are you a dead fan? No, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm neither. I, I mean, I just threw the question in there because I thought you'll find out a lot about a person's musical taste if they're like, hell no, I would never listen to the dead or they go, yeah, I love the dead. I've been to 15 shows or whatever. So yeah. I accident, I mean, I went through a dead phase, I think where musically I liked it. Um, probably would have been right on the right on the heels of the Emerson Lake and Palmer phase. Uh, but yeah, I fell out pretty quickly. So I'm not, I'm a real middle of the road. Like I understand when people like the dead, I understand yeah. what they're, what they're liking in it. And no, when you're people, not anti. No. And when people right. hate the dead though, I totally understand why they hate them. Yeah. So I feel I'm, a, I'm taking the middle child posi position between the hate and the love of the dead. Just yeah. Right in the middle of the, of the teeter totter. It's a, kind of a fascinating group of people because there's this whole capitalism thing that surrounds it. Like, yeah, I'm going to the dead show. I'm going to sell t-shirts and like, you know, like dream catchers and, and shit. I'm going to make a bunch of money. <laughs> For sure. Off the dead. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you have, do you have any opinion about the, the dead and company? They're the dead no, plus John Mayer. I'm not that involved, but I've heard, you know, who has an opinion about it is the guy Chris from, um, What's the Black Crows? Chris okay. Robinson is he mad about it or he's is he mad. happy? Because he want, does he want to be John I Mayer? I think exactly. He's mad at John Mayer. Yeah, so he's mad at because he wants to be him. Well, he he's thought. not a guitar player. He's the singer. I think he used to sing with the Dead. I think yeah. Chris used to sing with. But there was a pretty deep resentment that I that I noticed from him about gonna, John Mayer. I'm going to dig into that one. That yeah. sounds that sounds like a rabbit hole, rabbit trail, yeah. rabbit hole or rabbit trail. Both. Yeah, I'm going to go down both of them. Yeah, that's exciting. That's going to be my whole afternoon. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do instead of the work that I've been putting off for the last three months. Yeah, Chris hates John Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's try to get into this a little bit. Let's um, do it. You've written what I consider a very witty and funny. I laughed out loud numerous times at your book. Thank you. And I also very much enjoyed your first book, Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell, which I thought was um, – your first book I thought was very um, – I thought it was courageous. Really? Yeah. Courageous. Yeah, I thought it was courageous of you to just trump on over to – is that a word? Yeah. I just used Trump, the president's name yeah. as a verb. <laughs> but you walked over to Eddie Rothman's house and just basically said, you know, here I am, you know, and the dogs came out and the whole thing. And that's kind of ballsy. I mean, yeah, like I remember going, knowing – okay, so like I pitched the book, right, and I knew that I was going to have to – like in my mind, Eddie Rothman is – you know, the entire North Shore, like it's all summed up with Eddie. And I don't know, 
I, you know, I don't even know if kids these days, if he, if he's that much of a, of a, you Enigma know, or yeah, like a presence, like, yeah, a, like an anxiety. Exactly. <laughs> to, to the young kids going over. Yeah. But you know, for me reading the mags and all that growing up, that was it. There's this like specter of Eddie Rothman and the black shorts and all of this. So I knew that when I was writing the book that I was going to have to go talk to him. I remember the day that it finally came where I thought, okay, this is it. I got, I got a, and I did, I felt, I did feel like, okay, I got to put on my big boy pants and, and go do this thing. And who knows how it's, you know, if, if he'll just knock me straight out or if I'll, you know, get nothing or, or what, but yeah, he's, he's a lovely man that Eddie Rothman. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. You know, like that moment in your book, when you went over there, I was like, this guy's, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. You know, I felt, but in a way you did have to do it because he was a big portion of the book and you, and there's no way I don't think I could have written a book about the North shore without yeah approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great book. And this one, um, I mentioned cocaine and surfing, sordid history, a sordid history of surfing's greatest love affair. Um, a major theme of this book, in my opinion, is honesty or the lack thereof, really, within the surf world. If the surf world, Chaz, if the surf industry, if you and I, the surfers, the WSL, if we would acknowledge the connection between surfing and cocaine, the truth would set us free. And if we don't, then we become complicit with the Disneyification, the NFLization, the Paul Speakerization of surfing. We've hidden from the truth, the dark truth, perhaps. But the truth, nonetheless, the dirty side of our history is important because it is the truth. How do you feel about my assessment of your book? I completely, completely agree. I mean, and that's – it was kind of setting out to write this book. Uh, I didn't know – like initially I wanted to kind of glorify cocaine. I was like, big deal, right? Like who cares? People drink and they smoke weed and they have no problem talking about it. Uh, and there's no – you know, there may be some stigma attached to it, but but not – you know, this, this crushing amount. And so I thought, what's wrong with cocaine? Why can't cocaine be, you know, why can't we just all admit that we use cocaine and sir, you know, or people who like cocaine, why can't they say they like cocaine and in surfing where it's omnipresent, why can't surfers just admit it? Um, and so it was going to be when I set out going to be this real glorification of cocaine. But, uh, when you kind of get into the weeds with cocaine, you just, it's an insidious drug. It's a really dirty, bad thing that, that leads to, I think, you know, pretty awful consequences. And I guess drinking does too. But, um, so the whole thing kind of changed, but as I was writing it, uh, but exactly like more and more, just what I kept circling around was, it's just the damn surfers never telling the truth or, or the surf industry or nobody. And you know, today even like with the WSL's Facebook rollout, right. Where it's just this, it's like this lies or, you know, just weird half statements about stuff where, come on, why can't you just say we totally screwed up? This was awful. <laughs> this is our deal with Facebook. This is how much it's worth. This is why it screwed up. Like w surfing is small enough. Can't we just be honest amongst the tiny little community? That's yeah. what, that's what always baffles me. Yeah. It's, that's actually an interesting question. I, th I think surfers can be, I think you and I can, I think when we're in the parking lot or wherever we are, if we're at the coffee shop and you run into a guy, there's a lot of honesty. I'm not so sure it's a good idea. Like if you put yourself in Sophie's foot's, you know, seat, so to speak, I can kind of understand why she's like glossing, like, look, a little flub up here, a little wrinkle. We're getting past it. It's going to be good for the betterment of the sport. But, you know, and, and I guess my question to you is, is it unfair? By the way, I would want her to be straight up and truthful too, but to play devil's advocate. Sure. Can't you see her side of it? Like she's the CEO. She's looking up at Dirk Ziff going, please pay my check next month. Here's what I need. This is the smart move. This is the move that a CEO would make, you know, and, and we, and, and it's a bummer. You know, you and I would love for her to say, God, we 
like you mentioned, we really messed up. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? That you do you kind of understand a little bit where she's coming from? I understand, uh, you know, that she's doing the thing, the the corporate business thing, the proper thing to do, and all that kind of stuff. I just think that surfing as both an industry and I don't. You know, I don't know what their viewership numbers are, but I can't imagine that they're that they've gone up much. I'm sure it's pretty static. Like the people who watch pro surfing watch pro surfing, right? And I think the surf industry itself clearly is in you know its 30 year apocalypse now, where it's just been circling the drain. It's not getting better. It's there's nothing. There's no like. I mean, there's there's small success stories within the surf industry, I think, but generally, you know, even though uh, the United or you know the world's economy is on a whatever it is now, 10 year, whatever, you know, growth clip, the surf industry is still just tanking. And so why not just reassess and say, Hey, look at like our number, our viewership numbers are flat. The industry itself is just honestly, you know, one more circle of the toilet away from going entirely down the drain. Why, why not try something new? Why not just, you know, it would be, it would be groundbreaking. And I, I just don't see how they could fail any more than they're failing, to be honest. I mean, not that the WSL is a failure, but I just I don't see the big the big markers of success, right? Do you? I mean, when you when you watch it, do you think, okay, this is a this is a total going concern. This is a successful, you know, small American business. Uh, that's a great. I've never really looked at it as do I see it as a success or not. That's that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. I just I solely look at it from a consumer standpoint. Like I'm somebody that's going to consume this product. Sure. And from that standpoint, because I already had Facebook, I wasn't like – I was kind of like, yeah, I could see how it would suck if you didn't have Facebook. But I'm already involved, sadly, with Facebook. And so from an, a consumer standpoint, the product's gotten better since they took over. But since Facebook – since, no, oh, since, since they the took new the regime. ASP. Yeah, 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 like yeah. what, six sure. years ago or For whatever. Sure. Yeah. It's gotten – they've made some – They've made changes. They've been open to changes. They haven't been completely stubborn. There's along the way. There's been nightmares. I would suggest to you, recently, it's it's. There's been some some downfalls. Like no pipeline. To me, that's just like you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. There's, like that to me is like one of the biggest issues. Well, really, and, there's and, no pipe and no contest in coastal California, right? Or no CT event. Uh, does that not bother you? That doesn't bother me you too care, much. You don't care no. about trestles. I don't really know. I mean, it's a great event. It's a great location for an event. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I need to wait and see how yeah. I feel after it's it's over with. But the the uh, I mean, the, so as a like as a product on the on the consumer end, I agree too. Like I think the product in you know the streaming and all that stuff that we take for granted, kind of the fact that we have you know the heats on demand, all these things. They made a great viewing experience, and I don't even mind the Facebook thing at all personally. Like whatever, if that if you want Facebook as your partner, then. You know, have at it. That's fine. And people who bitch and moan about Facebook stealing their data or whatever—I mean, it's starting a you know lurker Facebook account is about as easy as anything, right? I mean, it's it's easier than probably downloading the AS or the WSL app. Um, Just the like, I don't know. It just seems though that I totally agree. The product is great. I just don't see any more people. Log, right? I mean, if the, if the whole goal is to grow the audience, I don't see the audience growing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if the audience is growing or not. And again, I'm kind of like, mm, I I guess I care if the audience grows or not. I know I'm tuning in. I hope it continues on. Um, I, I kind of see that – what's interesting is that when we think of the WSL – as the surf industry, I almost don't even see it as a surf. To me, the WSL is a broadcasting thing. Sure. Much like Surfer Magazine and Stab Magazine is a marketing piece for the, like the problem I think that, that 
that I have with some of it is that that evangelicalism of it all, like everything's great. Yeah. Everything's wonderful. Look at how cool. Look at Jimmy Shred. You know, it's like, how about talk about cocaine for God's sake? Yeah. You know, that's kind of why, you know, your book's so fun because it, there's, there's some, you sense that there's some, some like validity or some cogency to it. I mean, that, and that's to me, you know, a true story is always more interesting than any kind of PR spin, which I think you hit the nail on the head. It feels like the WSL, and I, I agree that it's not the same as the surf industry. The surf industry is the surf industry magazines or, or the publications. What is the surf industry, if I may interrupt? Because I have that down the line here in my questions, and, and I'm interested in what you think the surf industry is. It's what funny. does it consist of? I, I, I made it so, like, absurdly specific in this book, right, where uh, – like I think I can't remember where I, I go on and basically say you have to either have worked for a brand or one of the magazines or da da da. Like I really make it specific, but I think there's there's something uh, the surf industry to me uh, is uh, it's a good question because what is it? What is the surf industry? It is. I'll just I mean simply I think th- I'm going to lump them all in together. I, I'm going to say the brands, the publications, and the WSL. Um, and that's pretty much it, right? And it's, and it's the people working. Uh, at some level with one of those things, right? Either commenting on it or actually have a job or, you know, the coaches of a surfer or whatever, like the surfers themselves. I think that's it. I think it's, I think it's specifically there and I I don't spread. Is Red Bull part of the surf industry? I don't think so. I think Red Bull. So sugar drink, caffeine drinks are out. I mean, I think if there was if there was one that started specifically for surfers and you know marketing to <laughs> surfers, then I would say, okay, that's the that's the drink, right? And Red Bull does that markets to surfers, but Red Bull to me is a, it's just like if Coca Cola made a, you know, I mean, Coca Cola owns Monster, and Coca Cola is you know not not part of the surf industry. Right. I think it's just too is big. Monster, no Monster, no yeah. Monster is just a right, yeah. But if one was specific to surf, I would say. Uh, what is what's one of the beers? I'd say Balter beer, one of those. That could oh, be, like that Saint be, Archer sure. or Balter. Those could be in the surf industry. Those are surf industry I'll, beers. I'll, I'll, I'll include them. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. That's specifically started by is, surfers. Is yeah, way, is way narrow. What is what is your view? My view is the surf industry is anything that has to do with riding waves because that's what yeah. surfers do and that's what surfers care about. They care about waves and the equipment to ride them with. Yeah. Everything else is just like okay, yeah, surfer bubble gum, whatever. You know, I don't care. I'll just I'm going to drink any beer. By the way, I, I don't go. I'm a surfer. I got to go drink a Balter. Maybe there are some that do that. Sure. But my thing is boards, equipment, wetsuits, gear, whatever I need to go do that, and it, and it maybe in, it heightens my enjoyment out there. So no, so no software for you. I mean, no, no, no clothes. clothes at but, all. but but surf trunks like Hurley yeah. Phantom is you know high performance trunk that I think probably helps me spread my legs wider or something. Sure. Do, do you do you surf in the Hurley? I do not. Do you do you have a favorite trunk? I I. No, the answer is no. I don't. Have you ever have you ever surfed in a pair of birdwells? I have birdwells. I've okay. had, I've surfed in birdwells for decades. I've never surfed in a pair of birdwells, and it's driving me crazy because it seems like the way the brand is coming back. Yeah, uh, it seems like I really I'm I'm angry that I'm I'm going to jump on the bandwagon super late, but I'm going to go buy buy. I me think a pair you of should. I I'd be interested to hear what your commentary is after like three months of wearing birdwells. Okay, because there may be. Um, they're sort they they can kind of chafe you a little sure. bit. They're pretty like after you wear them for a while, they can stand up in your trunk, you know, I, without like they don't lay down. They're just so stiff and hard. That's me because I don't rinse them out or wash them. Of course, or, you know, I, I just throw them. I would never either. But like I used to surf in Caton from time to time, and I used to love kind of not the chafe I didn't like, but I almost liked feeling like okay, I'm a tough surfer. I'm wearing basically a canvas short. Yes, uh, and. 
if I keep surfing, I'm going to get nice leg calluses, and that's going to be pretty awesome. But I'm <laughs> yeah. not giant. No, that's calluses. kind of the birdwell experience. Yeah. Okay, good. Right I'm excited. There. I'm excited about yeah. th- about my calluses. <laughs> yeah, my thigh calluses. <laughs> do you have to wear? Do you have to wear like a speedo underneath? You know what? If you do, it's it's such a good move. If you can do that and proudly do yeah. it, you know, like if you hide it, then it's weak. But yeah. if you proudly put on your speedo and kind of like prance around a little bit before putting on yeah, birdwells, that's that's pretty. You know. That's a whole nother move. I'm gonna. I'm gonna to I, me, like means that you're totally enlightened. Yeah, I'm gonna try that. I think. Yeah. I think I want to be totally enlightened. I think I'm ready for enlightenment. That's that's yeah. That's a pretty big move. <laughs> um, getting back to your book, you lay the foundation for this love affair between surfing and cocaine with this historical moment, both in the context that that it took place. You flying up and meeting Matt and having Matt explain to you. You know, you were asking Matt about the Peruvians. Maybe explain that a little bit, this connection, because I feel like it's a big leap. Like you basically went, look, okay, so the Peruvians rode home from work with their feet on the handlebars, yeah. and it was just, and it just so happens that it was downhill, so they enjoyed it, but still they were at work. Sure. Um, but surfing, surfing no matter what. Right? If riding waves is surfing, then they were surfers. Exactly. And since they had their mouths stuffed with coca leaf, let's, the, the love affair begins here. Precisely. I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but that's it. I mean, that is totally it, really. Like, I I get the ro- the romanticism of ha- of having surfing begin, you know, in the Pacific Islands, Tahiti or Hawaii or wherever. I can yeah. I can never get to the I to the bottom t- of I where think it's it, French Polynesia. It's right. That's where it started. Started right, and well, then those, I mean, not not according to you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no. I mean, but for the for as far as the Pacific Islands go, yeah, it's it's French Polynesia. It wasn't Hawaii where it started. Right. right? I think yeah, because the Polynesians I, came to Hawaii. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's consensus. So okay. So if that's great, and it's you know, there's palm trees. It's beautiful. Peru is ugly and freezing and nasty. Uh, I mean, not the, not the whole country, but the coast oh, is, it is. It's gray and cold. Yeah, it's gray and cold. The coast is gray and cold, and so I don't think it's romantic. But I just don't see how you can uh, slice it another way. We're riding if riding waves is surfing, right? We're and I guess you know Matt splits the hair of you have to be doing it specifically exactly. to surf, not to. Uh, you know, not as a means to do something else. But I don't know necessarily that those Peru- – he, he was the one who talked about riding with the feet on the handlebars. What if they weren't? What if they looked forward to their end of their day and they would go ride a couple, right? Like If they rode a couple, that's a great point. Like if, if they, they went back, back out. Precisely. Now we have – Surfing. Yeah. Exactly. Which, and, it, and I would suggest to you that perhaps one of those over thousands of years said, Dad, I want to go do that again. That's um, precisely my yeah. point, right? Where if they're enjoying it, if they're doing it because it's fun and it's clear – like I don't know how you can not ride a wave and have the sensation. Feeling. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Where you want to go recapture that, right? So that's my – that's my thing is like, no, let's call, you know, and maybe it was goat boating or supping or whatever. Like, I mean, they weren't standing on those canoes, I don't think, but, but, uh, whatever. Like, they the were riding. The thrill of waves. riding a swell was there. And that's what they were doing. And so I'm so, going to call them surfers. Let me ask you this, because this is an interesting thing. If yep. we go with this, yep. and I like going down this road, yep. couldn't I argue that Vikings were the first surfers? Couldn't I argue that way, way, way back before then, the first guys that were getting into boats and sailing around and pillaging and stuff, when they came back with their goods, it's conceivable that they, as they entered the bay, they rode a swell off of the pass and they went, wow, this is... For sure, except for the Peruvians predate those guys. Oh, it's, did they? It's, and they didn't have their... It's, yeah, full, exactly. Leaf, the Peruvians yeah. were 4,000 BC oh. is, is when they have the, the fossil evidence or whatever, of or whatever right. state it's in, of those boats and right. of the... like. Yeah, I don't know how they knew they were riding them in, but I guess that's what they do today. So, 
Uh, yeah. So okay. the Peruvians predated Vikings. They predated all of it, I okay. think. So, you know, maybe in, and, you know, Mesopotamia, they don't, they don't have waves. So <laughs> the Nile River. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm, I'm sticking with the Peruvians. And the, the good part, I mean, to me, and it's, I think, uh, it's, I think people discredit it now or people want to discredit it, but I still love the Thor Heyerdahl, the fact that he rode the Contiki from Peru to, uh, was it Tahiti? I think it was Tahiti. Somewhere out there, yeah. Whatever to prove that to that, Polynesia, somewhere. yeah. To to prove that it, it's possible or conceivable that it was actually the Peruvians who, who transported it. To, and not only that, and basically, yeah, seeded the island. I mean, those are the ones who you know became Polynesian. Exactly. Right? That's where you could. That's where you got yeah. the Polynesians from. So wow. even, and I think that it's semi discredited, but I don't think fully discredited. Like yeah, he, well, he went and did it. Stinking Contiki, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's it's fascinating. Actually, this part there's so much. There's a lot of history in your book. And in many ways, it was kind of like, I don't want to say the dirty history of surfing, but there's decades throughout your book where I really felt like, God, this is a pretty good history lesson. Like if you were just reading it, you could really kind of get an understanding of, you know, from, I don't know, 1950 on. And God God bless Matt Warshaw. I could literally sit with the his history of surfing and just crib him and I'd apologize after. And like while I was writing, I was thinking, damn it, I'm like – you know, basically riffing this, all the historical parts are not all of them, but most as, as they relate to surf, I'm just riffing on Warshaw. But then I was thinking, but he did all the work. Like there's nothing else to discover in surf history. <laughs> like he went out and became the surf historian. You wouldn't be the first. But. I mean, of course, everybody, that's what I feel. And there's nowhere else to go. So I figure, okay, I'll just yeah. like, I'll do a DJ remix of surf, you know, the history of uh, surfing in here. And certainly uh, through the prism of cocaine and surfing. I mean, yeah, exactly. It, you know, all specific. of your history pieces have to do with, you know, whether it be Hackman or Dora or whoever. Yeah. Somebody that's kind of like a champion, if you will, of the truth, yep. you know, and even if they didn't mean to be. Um, let's see, where else do I go here? Oh, the other thing is, you, it's sort of a memoir. Um, and, and in some regards, I mean, there, there's a lot, I learned a lot about you, oh. you know, through the, through the book. The, the, it's funny. I, I think people think that I'm pretty narcissistic cause I always write about, about myself. The, the real truth of the matter is I like, it's difficult for me to attribute feeling or emotion to other people or opinion, right? Especially about things that are where the subject matter is touchy, like cocaine and, I mean, drugs, you know, like people will not want me to put ideas or things in their mouth. So like, it's, it's way easier for me just to take it on. Right. So, okay. Like I don't care about being the bad guy. So I'll, you know, shoulder whatever, whatever the, whatever needs to be said. It's easier right. for, for my character to say it or, you know, my, cause it's not even a character. It's just me. But so it's easier for me to say it than to make somebody else say bad things or it's, you know, little dirty secrets about cocaine. Well, and frankly, you know, I've found that most of it, if not all of it was self-deprecating. It seemed like there was a search within yourself for the truth. You're like, damn it, I've got to get to the truth of this thing, you know, like, and, and, and we sort of, you sort of tie in the concept of surf journalism in this. Like if I can't talk about cocaine and surfing, then there is no surf journalism. So maybe speak a little bit about the concept of surf journalism. Does it even exist anymore? Has it ever existed? It's so wacky. And it's funny, like in the book, uh, like it's so ludicrous to call myself like a surf journalist or for anybody to call themselves a surf journalist. Right. And so then I really took it on like, okay, this is what I am. Right. I'm, I am asinine and ludicrous and my career is asinine and ludicrous because no, I mean, I think there is, I think there are surf journalists. Um, who's, who's a surf journalist? You know, I think, I think like, 
I'm, Jamie Brissick, I think, is a surf journalist. He he's bigger and broader than just a surf journalist, right? He tells uh, like amazing, but he like the stinking Westerly when Wendina story is absolutely epic. I don't know how that's not you know a way bigger hit, uh, or maybe it is a huge hit. Yeah. But that book to me is one of the greatest surf books ever. Have, have you read it? I have not read Finding it. Westerly. I know a lot about it, but yeah. I, I have not read it. Fantastic. So, so I'd say Jamie Bristick, Derek Hind, of course. I think uh, Nick Carroll, of course. I mean, that's the thing. In, in my mind, there is yes, there is surf, surf journalism is a real thing, and the surf journalists of the world. Before I've I've thought about uh, starting like a you know, members only club thing for, for surf journalists, like yeah, real, you eight guys. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like real card carrying, card carrying surf journalists. Cause I think, that, yeah, Nick Carroll, um, who else? I mean, you know, Warshaw's a historian, but I think he's done hard yards in, oh, the, yes, in the surf sure. journalism salt mines. For sure. Uh, yeah, I think there's a good, there's probably quite a few that I think at least a, I bet there's probably 15 or 20 exactly. we're not even touching on, but I think, I think exactly. I think there's like 15 or 20, you know, surf journalists out there, people who have really, and you know, I only include myself in there in like the most absurd on the absurd clownish end of it. Uh, like the, you know, uh, who was it that wrote the treatise, uh, that people should eat their kids. Um, Oh, what's it? Uh, damn it. It's, uh, it's okay. It'll come to you later. It will come to me later, but it's like, like just a, you know, satirical, like I'm on the satirical end of this, of the surf journalism spectrum, but I think there are, you know, genuine, People doing, you know, stinking Brad Malekian. Uh, I mean, going back for this book and reading his stories for Outside on Andy, that that was, I think, some of the best surf, actual surf journalism ever done, right? Where yeah. he went in and not only did he crack the story, but he did it uh, ethically and honestly and, you know, with, with the highest standards, which, you know, if that's, that well, is the, surf the, journalism. The, 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 I can't, in many ways, sort of the, Benchmark or the litmus test, if you've done good surf journalism, is when the surf industry Kicks shuns you. you. Exactly. And exactly. that's certainly what happened to Brad. Precisely. Precisely. And of course, funny now, like, you know, eight years later or whatever it is, those same people are like going, oh, you're the greatest, Brad. Yeah. You know? I mean, I was, I was one of those assholes yes. just like ki- kicking Brad in the nuts for, for what he did uh, on the Andy stories. And, but I, I mean, thankfully, in, in this book, I got to make amends to Brad because it was l- what I did to him. And what the surf industry did to him was, I mean, is just it was you know, cruel is is too light a word for for what it was. I mean, it was just ridiculous. It was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Speaking of, um, I talked to somebody the other day. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm hunting down Chaz. I want to do a podcast with him. And I said, what do you think of Chaz? And he goes, he said, bomb thrower. <laughs> but he said it. He also backed up. He goes, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And in many respects, this space needs that. What are you, what is your, uh, how would you reply to this person? I mean, I would say, yeah, uh, I love to, it's what I love to do. I mean, I love to shit stir, I guess. And it's fun for me and, and it's fun for me to do. Uh, and surfing is just one of those things that takes itself so seriously uh, and should never, it's the last thing on earth that should ever take itself seriously. And so if, Again, for me, it's just fun to go do that. But then when I do that, and this is this is where the rubber hits the road, I guess. Like I think, to me, surfing is absurd. It's this absurdist pastime that's totally fun, uh, consuming, but equally ridiculous and egotistical, you know, all of it, all the parts of surfing. Yeah. The, surfers are the worst. Exactly. You're the the <laughs> surfers are the worst tagline is is so perfect because that's actually. Needs to be credited to Brad Malekian. Right, Brad Malekian did? Brad's, really? Yeah, I've just co-opted it. That is totally – well, it's a good co-opt yeah. and yeah, good on Brad. But uh, the – so all of this. So I just think all surfers want this, right? They want this big game of let me chuck a bomb over here, let me chuck a bomb over there. But then when I start chucking bombs and they don't come back, they just blow up and then I just see people's sullen faces and parties. Then I realize, okay, I guess I'm the only one who thinks this is fun. Like that's what – I mean, you know, I've gone or tried to go to war with the inertia and with STAB and yeah. with the WSL and on and on down, you know, my black book of <laughs> people I've tried to start wars yeah. with, yeah. all in the name of fun, right? Like right. for me, it's just we're doing an absurd thing. What's – why do we have to take it so seriously? Let's have fun and go back and forth. Then nobody ever does. So apparently I'm the only one. That's what I, so my answer to it would be, I think it's a lot of fun. Apparently nobody else does. Too. I, I think a lot of people appreciate what you do and see it in that light. And, um, but of course, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people put their heart and their soul, whether it's the right direction, according to you and I or whoever, that's not really our, for us to decide. So when we do get attacked, it's like, you know, I'm working really hard to be the worst, <laughs> to be one of these surfers or the worst types. But uh, regardless, look. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that like the Paul Speakers and Graham Staplebergs and all this of the world are just like, what? you know, he's such a fucker. Why doesn't he stop? But I will say to all of them, why don't you play? I mean, that's that's what you're missing is this is all play. And when you have, to me, blinders on, heads heads down, like trying Scowl. to create – Exactly. You're not – you're not enjoying any of it. And yeah. I get, I totally get that, you know, shock shit is not everybody's cup of tea. And, you know, Paul Speaker does not want to, you know, throw a zinger back or whatever. But why not meet with me at least, right? I mean, my whole thing with Speaker, you know, it, like as it relates to this was let's just sit down and have a talk. Like yeah. I swear I won't bite. And yeah. if you, if there, if somebody was brave enough like him or Stableberg or whatever to sit down and have a chat, yeah. I would stop. Picking on them, right? Yeah. I would, I would say what I wanted to say. It's to taking them. the power out of what you're doing, kind of, right? And I just don't understand why nobody ever wants to have a chat. Yeah, 
They're, they're missing out. I feel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, getting back to the book a little bit, um, Michael Thompson, you write, um, and f- correct me if I'm wrong here, but my feeling was that, that you write that because he didn't really give up his cocaine, um, that somehow he's on higher ground, that he held on to his lover. He didn't get rid of it through it all, no matter what. Um, I think you used the word half measures. There were no half measures with him. Tell me about Michael Thompson. If first of all, if I've characterized him correctly regard in regards to your book. And, um, I know you, it, it seems that you hold him in very high regard. So please elaborate. I completely do. Michael Thompson to me is one of the, uh, I mean, he's, you know, not only iconic, but he's the one more or less who created, uh, my ideal vision of surf when I was a kid, right? So when I was growing up, it was gotcha that was, you know, just popping. Like, and I just remember going and just seeing it, seeing it in the surf shop and the hang tags and all of it. And just thinking this, whatever this represents, like I need to be part of this. Right. And so, uh, MT kind of colored my horizon. Um, and I think he did for this, for the, all of the surf industry for, you know, I mean, at least, you know, deep into the nineties, if not the two thousands, like his aesthetic and his vision. I mean, and I think he was just mercurial, right? He was like gifted beyond not only with how to market this stuff, but the design and where it was for. And and I think his, his arc was so quick and, you know, maybe that had something to do with the cocaine, but maybe he was just, you know, like a hot burning fire where he just cooked it out. And uh, what, so, so not only did I love what he created, I, I just loved how he was. He seemed unapologetic, um, to me from the outside and then getting to know him too. He's, he's unapologetic, right? He's done like, that's what he told me. Like, I've done what I've done. I've, you know, paid, paid the price for it. And so sue me, what are you going to do? Right? Like yeah. where his, he's not trying to couch this or, or not trying to create anything that surfing wasn't kind of like, you know, even the, if you don't surf, don't start campaign yeah. where actively antagonizing your potential market is yeah. just pretty awesome. Right. Where yeah. nobody does that anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I held Michael and hold Michael in the, in the highest regard. And also because he is, he's, he's just honest, like, yeah. and in surfing where, I mean, you said at the start, to, that's what the book didn't devolve into, but just kind of became was it was the search for honesty. And Michael MT is was and is honest. Yeah, like him, like him or dislike him. How is he? How is he? Um, is he still using cocaine? I don't. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, to be honest, I didn't. We talked about it about his past arrest and stuff like that, but we didn't get into like his c- current consumption. Yeah, and so yeah, I honestly have no idea. Well, I did mention that, um, you know, the, the book is really neat too, as I mentioned, because it sort of takes us through the decades um, of history. And you touched on Matt Warshaw and, and, and you and I and everybody else kind of peeling from Matt's um, history of surfing and the encyclopedia of surfing. Um, how important is, I guess my question is, are there others that are as honest as Michael Thompson? I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's there's plenty of them out there, like in the surf industry itself. I mean, like uh, I'm trying to think of. I mean, for example, I love Bob. Bob I was McKnight, just thinking right? this. So this is the man I was thinking. Yeah, and I think Bob is a phenomenal human being, and I think Bob. I, I've had some of the most honest conversations ever with Bob. Right, and yeah. so I would I would include Bob very much there. I don't know. You know, I think Quicksilver. 
uh, is no longer a reflection of Bob. Right. Um, which I think is unfortunate. Right. Uh, and you know, maybe he doesn't want it to be, maybe he's tired and whatever, but yeah, I would totally put Bob in there. And I think there are, I think there, there are, uh, I mean, I think Bob Hurley for that matter. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and the guy, all the guys who work at Hurley, I think from Evan Slater to, uh, you know, Pat O'Connell, I think these guys have a real solid look and a real honest look about what the surf industry is and what they need to do. And then also, you know, just how to make it, how to make it better. Like, so yeah, I do. I think there's, I think it's there. I think it's scattered around. I just think the dominant voices are not. Yeah. Um, if you could sit down with Paul speaker and, and have a conversation, what would some of the questions be? What would you most want to hear about? I just want to know, like, tell me honestly, like, don't pull a punch. What is your vision for surfing, right? Like, what what do you think it needs to be, and how do you think it needs to get there? Like, I, I read the press conference or press releases. I I see the canned stuff, but really, like, from the gut, I would like to know what he thinks surfing is and where he thinks surfing should go. Like, which is, I mean, it's kind of clear, right? It should be big That's, and pools, but I, <laughs> I, my question is what makes you think you have the answer? Like, yeah, I would be like, can you even swim? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, completely, completely. Well, and that's the other thing too is like, it drives me crazy about the WSL. I mean, many things drive me crazy about WSL, but one of them is they have resources there of, you know, again, so, I mean, like from stinking Vaughn Blakey to uh, Nick Carroll to Derek Riley to, you know, you and David Lee Scales, like, I mean, there's so many people who, if they got a conference or like a round table together, right. Of like, okay, we're going to bring in some people who have actually been in this for a long time and have them, you know, we're going to do, you know, and they, I guess they, did you go to surf ranch? Yes. And they invited everybody up to surf ranch or this, not everybody, but they invited the, you know, surf journalist, surf, yeah, whatever people up to surf, surf ranch, but there was no like, you know, like it was all, it almost felt like a bribe more than anything else. Like, Hey, we'll let you come surf here. And then there was an expectation. By the way, I fully bought the bribe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about praising the surf ranch just so I can go, go back. again. See, which, which totally, Surfers are the worst, which totally worked. And it's, and it's great. Right. But why didn't we like my favorite part about the surf ranch experience was the dinner before, because it was sitting around with, you know, Sean Doherty and Carol and all these guys. And, just having surf talk where I don't know why they don't, these resources are there for the WSL and they just don't, you know, they have nothing. It seems like they're always trying to solve problems or, or find solutions in places where, Hey, just ask. Yeah. There's a huge pool of information and people over here. Ask any of those guys. And you know, they, you may know this cause you're tight with Matt, but they, they asked Matt, they, they reached out to Matt. I think, um, Dave Prodan and some others. Um, and Matt, Gave them a whole litany yeah. of suggestions. And I know that Matt was disappointed. Sure. And he told me it's okay for me to say so, that, that they didn't – I don't think they even acknowledged that he had sent them the stuff that they had requested. Yeah. You know, they didn't even say, hey, got your email. Thanks. We'll take it into consideration. There was just nothing. And that was sort of a put off, I think. Well, totally. And that's the I, – I, I get that vibe from them as an organization. You know, like it's – it feels like – uh, as an organization, it's, it's patronizing to the core surf audience. Like even the response is like, you know, the rage at the, at the Facebook rollout, like that, you know, it gets to be funny, of course, at some point. I mean, the amount of rage yeah. is, is yeah. for me, it's not only funny, but it's something to throw more gas on. Yes. But, uh, 
it just seems like, and then when they respond to that rage, it's so patronizing. It's just like, they're there, you know, quiet down where I don't, again, I don't know why they don't go to their core audience. Say, what do you guys want? Like, how can we, this is for you, you know, more or less. I mean, it, and I guess that maybe is the problem because it's not, they're trying to it's create not. it for, I was just gonna yeah, say. for some, uh, for, but they're trying to create this show for this, this market that doesn't exist. They're trying to create the market, which is great, but why not ask the existing market, you know, what they think about it? I yeah. mean, and I just don't know. I don't know why the WSL has to feel like it's just so removed. I mean, it feels like an alien. It feels like a strange alien invade invasion force. Yeah. It's like set up camp and they're trying to do what we like, do. What do you like to eat? Yeah. And they're doing it really <laughs> awkwardly. And all they had to do is like ask. And then people yeah. will tell them, Hey, do this and do this. And this, you know, this would maybe work or try this. Yeah. I, I'm sure that, you know, they must just, cause they do have, even within house, they've got Graham who's sure. been around forever. Is a surfer, surfer, but he's a fucking kook. Let's be honest. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that he's, um, he's just getting his paycheck. Sure, you know exactly, I mean? exactly. I mean, he's yeah, he's he's an easy target. He's like low lying fruit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and frankly, I don't want to piss off Graham because who knows? There could be a job for me. I mean, totally. I'm just throw it out there yeah. right now, Chaz. I, I, I <laughs> surfers I, are the worst. I'm yeah. just protecting my own possible protect, protect. Right I will say nothing bad about Graham Stableberg. Um, and I've had I've had positive experiences with him. Um, what I was going to get at is you were talking about how come they're not just asking us, you know, how come they're not just like going, Hey, there's all these core fans. Let's talk to them. And I feel like it's because of this. I feel like Mr. Ziff is going, look, here's the deal. I've thrown a ton of money at this. My wife was all into it. So I bought it. And it was, there was like a romanticism about five years. Like, let's buy the WSL and make it great. Paul yeah. Speaker and blah, blah, blah. And woo, we'll make it unreal. And the women are going to get tons of money and it's all going to be great. And, and, and his beautiful wife was all involved in it. And I think the party, like they got into like horses or who knows, who knows what their next little thing was. And the luster of owning the surf wore off. And now he's like, I got to sell this thing, but it's a loss leader. So what I want Graham and Sophie and Dave and all of you guys to do at the WSL is build this thing so that it's a viable business so I can dump it and, you know, maybe come out not quite as low as I, as I am now. Sure. So to me, I see it as like, there's just this big five-year plan for Dirk to just go, I'm out. Just to get rid of it. Yeah. That's kind of the way I see it. Um, and so what would you do? This is what I suggest you do. You, we got to grow our base yep. and it can't be the core base because the core base is only like maybe 1.8 million and of those maybe 10% are watching. And so we're only got 180 grand or whatever, you know, the yeah. numbers aren't there for a real business. So let's get in bed with Facebook because they're going to, that's how we're going to, that's the quickest way for us to reach tentacles and, and have Chaz's mom and Scott's mom watch yeah. the WSO, <laughs> right? Facebook. And what we'll do is after two or three years, we will then have Maybe we'll get to three or four or five million and we'll go, look, it's 60 bucks a year. Yep. Now we've got a ton of money. We've got a viable business and we can go, the business is for sale. Is there anyone that wants to buy? Yeah. That's kind of the way I see it. I, I totally would not be surprised if that's, if that was moving forward, what they're going to do. But they, I mean, again, to me, the steps they take are strange. Like, uh, I just had a great, um, email exchange with a guy who, uh, has done, I think for three years now, live sport. Uh, he works for, you know, a different league, um, and with Facebook and he says, it's awful. Like they just, they basically kill your viewing numbers. I read this. I yeah. saw this on beach grid. Yeah. I think yesterday. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. Which, and they kill your viewing numbers, you know, and make you pay basically, you know, like 
exorbitant. So they tease you in and then they screw you? And then that's that's the way that... The, that was his experience with the league he was... And he's, and he's still doing it and he says it's still the experience, right? Uh-huh. That's what they do. Like they expect the league to pay, uh-huh. to boost, but you can't boost live. And so it's all this... I think Facebook is you know not nefarious, but I think also Facebook is trying to get into live sport broadcasting. Yeah. You know, they see it, of course, in the day and age of video on demand and all that. The one thing people watch live is still sport, I think. Yeah. And so you can guarantee that people are going to be sitting in front of your their computers or phones or whatever. And that's valuable, right? To know. So I think that Facebook is is compelled by this, but also Facebook doesn't really know what they're doing either, I don't think, right? They're yeah. they're they seem to constantly evolve. Like every year they're like, well, I don't know, let's yeah. Let's build cars. Yeah. You, know, you just never know what they're going to do. Sure. And if I think if Facebook knew what they were, I think I think that the WSL rollout, you know, and probably the, the smaller league rollouts that they're doing too are to figure out how to do it. Um, and so then they can go do a deal with the NBA or, or you know, in the future probably. It's probably what they're thinking, right? So, like, I guess if Facebook is promising – the WSL, hey, we won't squash it. We'll let it go to all your fans and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, it won't become part of the algorithm thing. It'll be like, you know, anybody who... Open, we'll, we're opening yeah, the stream. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, everybody will see it, whatever. Uh, then, yeah, sure. Then they could grow their numbers, I guess. And then from there, they could do a subscription model. How much would you pay a year? 60. 60 bucks? Yeah. That's like five bucks a month, you know, and I'm getting like nine or 10 events. And um, five bucks a month is nothing for a guy like me, and I think most of the audience can handle five bucks a month. Sure. Plus, my own, you know, my son's going to watch it with me for yep. the five bucks a month, and I'm going to get a special. I'm going to get Jaws and Mavericks, and maybe that Padong Padong event, and I'm going to get twelve events for five bucks. ENT, a, uh, a, com- a company, just tried to do it with uh, street league skateboarding, I think, and I think it was eighty bucks a year was yeah. the initial, you know, it's more or less the same. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it was like for all the skateboarding, con- you know, not just the, the street league events, but all this other content, da, 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 da. I think they can l- honestly not sell one. And so they dropped the price to 40 bucks. Uh, and I think it's still a, you know, I don't know what their business is, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going well. That's fascinating to me because what it does is it speaks to, for me, it speaks to, I have had this, um, I have this, one of my sort of tenants is that the waves are the stars. Yeah. I don't even care. I put Jamie O'Brien. I don't put Chaz and I in eight foot pipe. I'll watch it. Totally. You know? And so that's something that the street league doesn't have. Like the street league's like, yeah, we're going to the Chula Vista skate park. And it was like, I've been there a million times. Yeah, it's and all looks the same. I as can the get clips skate of skaters anywhere, you know, just as I guess you and I can get clips of surfers, but it's sort of the unknown. I, I totally agree that surfing is a different thing. And I, I, okay, we're good. I don't know necessarily that the WSL even knows their own audience, right? Which is, I think they're, they're making a big deal or they did make a big deal in the kind of the Facebook debacle, uh, about how they're trying, you know, they're doing the best to provide this free, right? That was like big front first sentence of we're sorry. We're trying, like, yeah, you should be sorry. Actually, we're trying to do you a favor by doing this for free and you're kicking us, right? Was right. the, was the tone. Uh, I don't know that surfers care if it's free, right? Like I, their core audience, and again, it just comes down to what are those numbers, right? And how, but I totally agree with you that, uh, I think people would pay 60 bucks. I think the, the entire core audience and, and let's say, you know, that what, how many people would have to pay 60 bucks for it to be somewhat valuable? Well, if there's 10 million, you're looking at 600, is that 600? That'd be $600 million a year. But so let's just say there's 1 million. That's $60 million a year. Yeah. 
which is pretty good, right? I mean, that offsets a ton of cost. I, I think they could get, the rumor is they spend $50 million, or they did, not anymore. If, the, if they could, yeah, if they could get a million subscribers. Worldwide? That seems doable. It's still, yeah, sure. Sure. So why not Why not aim for that? But to do that, again, you'd have to focus on your core, right? Because it's your core surf fan is going to be the subscriber, not the mythical, you know. Well, I think the reason is, is that, again, if they're trying to build it to a business that I can now go, hey, look, my business is for sale. 60 million is not that enticing to like a like to whoever you know whoever would buy it like but what if red did, bull already reaches those million guys but what if they really did shore it up right where it was okay now we have we've taken care of the base right we have this solid million not only are they fans they're fans to the point of paying real money 60 dollars a year you know which in, is i think real money um to watch this thing. So now that we have this, now let's go find our mythical, you know, let's bring people in to this experience. Why? Like it always seems and, and surfing, I think, uh, once the company started going public, um, and you know, the idea of billion dollar evaluations and $2 billion evaluations and, you know, like this unsustainable growth, uh, that's when I, I feel the surf industry started only marketing ever towards this mythical person of, you know, this ideal My mom and your mom. Exactly. Right. And they're continuing to, to me, the WSL is continuing to make that mistake with marketing to, you know, even like this stinking, uh, ambassador of Stoke and leisure kind of thing. Right. <laughs> Where, I mean, it's widely laughable. I don't know that anybody like, and I think the kid was, you know, cute and did the best he could and all that. But it's, it's things like that where that must have been a field day for you. I, I never, I don't remember reading anything you did in regards to him, but it was so ridiculous. That's the thing. I didn't hammer him because he seemed like such a likable guy. Yeah. Where I was like, okay, but just the concept of it. Yeah. Like, who is that appealing to? Right. And I would love, maybe the WSL would say, Oh, it appealed to everybody. We had, you know, X amount of traffic on his feed, but it seemed like they buried him pretty quickly. So clearly, yeah, clearly I don't, or I don't think, or it doesn't seem like it worked from. No, you're right. There. It seems like somebody got in there and said, "Hey, look, there's a bunch of people moving to the coast with expendable income. Yeah. That's going to be our market, you know." And they buy wave storms at Costco, and that's your guy. Let's yeah. go get that guy, and that guy's going to want to be the ambassador of Stoke in Hawaii for four months. Totally, right? and he'll go. He'll draw in more people like that. Are all like, "Wow, this is a dream!" Like again, and I know surfers are the worst. Uh, and maybe that's just it. Maybe the WSL doesn't understand that and doesn't realize that. And so is always trying to market towards this positive where if they just went totally darkly negative, just say, all of you suck. We, <laughs> we hate you all. Then it would just get real popular. Like surfers would be, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. The core would yeah. dig it. The yeah. core would dig it. This is why they like Beach Grit, you know, because yeah. at least, you know, there's just some – it's just not this evangelical. I love, I love that our tagline is it's antidepressive and it's probably the most depressive place on earth. But that's – I think that's no, – it's, it's fun. I mean that's what surfers like though, right, is, an, is a good laugh. I think, I think so. I, I, mean, I think you're right. No, I, I mean the Beach Grit's widely successful. I imagine. I, I know you can't get into the depths of how much money you guys are making. No, no. I'll tell you. I'll get into the depths right now. Zero. <laughs> we're, we're making enough. Thankfully at this point we're making enough to pay Long Tom, Gen C – uh, whoever like our our valuable contributors uh, get paid, and that Long Tom might be he's one of the greatest writers. What's his of real all name? time? Steve Shearer. Yeah, he's great. He, is he does a good job. Absolutely epic. His his funny. I don't watch as much pro or I don't watch the events as much now purely because I want to enjoy his take on it. Yeah. So I'll read him first, and then I'll go back in and watch whatever he was writing about. Like go find. That's the a heat. really good way to do it. Uh, That's a great way to do it. But yeah, and it's purely because I like his writing so much. He's a, he's. It's like watching. I mean, if people who don't read Beach Grit, you know, don't feel the need ever. But 
if you ever want to, just go on and find Long Tom's contest raps. And there, it's it's like watching Hemingway writing in his prime, just sitting over his shoulder and watching it. That's how I think. And the goodness is, he's he's engaged. He's yeah. he's a surf fan. Yep. You know, so but he's un- unapologetic. In other words, he's not going to evangelize. For no, him. no, no. That's the thing is, I think he's a bus driver, right? In out there in Byron, that's what he does. He drives a bus, and so he's he's <laughs> really? not. Yeah. So that's so cool. Uh, how awesome is that? And so he's not drawing, you know, from the surf industry a money. School bus. Uh, I don't know what kind of bus it is, to be honest. I, I get yeah. the feeling it's just a, like average, a metropolitan yeah, bus. Yeah, metro bus around mm-hmm. the, I think it's around the Byron Bay area. I'll, I'll get back to you, but I know he's a bus driver. Cool. Um, but yeah, so he doesn't ever feel the need to like, okay, I need to placate this guy or say nice things about this guy. He can go out and be completely honest just because he's. And that's the key, right? Yeah, he's got no, you know, he has. He's not a, tied to anything. Nope. He's got. He's a, not like he's me going, Kelly, I really do like Sir Franch. Yeah, I'll say nice it's things awesome. if you invite me back. Yeah. 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 What if and when. Um, and actually, I don't hope that the WSL blows up. No, you know, yeah. I mean, I like pro surfing. I'm a sure. big fan of totally. what they do, and I want it to get better. But what does pro surfing look like in five years? You know, I think what it what it honestly will look like is it'll be five wave pool events and five, you know, non wave pool events, and that's what it'll look like. And and. I wouldn't be surprised. Again, the did you see the ticket prices for Surf Ranch? You put it out there. I, yeah, I, it was like a hundred bucks general it was, admission. It was a hundred bucks general admission, right? Which yeah. seems obscenely high to me, right? Uh, like especially to go to Lemoore. I mean, it's a, is it a two day for a hundred? No, bucks? one it was day. One day for a hundred bucks. So it's a hundred bucks a day was general. Uh, two ninety nine a day, I think, was VIP where you got shade and free Michelob Ultra, and then it was like. Five grand or something for the surf ranch experience, um, which is I think you get to surf a couple waves. But I don't even. I think they literally say like two waves or something. Like yeah. it's, you don't get a day in the pool. But anyway, looking at the pricing, this is the most anxious two waves of your yeah, life. Yeah, I know. Just, oh, I paid. Hope I don't fall. Twenty five hundred bucks <laughs> per wave. Uh, but so I wouldn't be surprised if what they're doing is really testing the model. Okay, let's make this. Uh, you know, like live events still make money. They're one of the things that crush it, you know, like from Coachella to whatever. So I won't be surprised if the five years pro surfing looks like a pool in, you know, Florida, let's say, say, I think they're building one in Miami, right? So down there, uh, it's a five day event. That's basically Coachella meets us open, right? Where you have the, uh, CT event as part of this bigger thing. And it's a, you know, $200 a day ticket or what, you know, I don't know. Do you know what Coachella tickets are? They're more than 200. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's like a Coachella level ticket and the pro surfing is just a component of this kind of circus. That's, that's, that's an interesting model. I think it's a huge mistake because what you'll find out is that we're just in the music business now. Exactly. And I don't even want this stupid surf thing and no. that'll just fade away. Yeah, and it'll why be is called, you know what I mean? Like, well, that's the thing is I think there's, I think there's a, a real honest, I mean, remember when beach volleyball was the biggest thing ever? Yes. Uh, and beach volleyball. Massimo. Exactly. And it was, but it was, I think pro beach volleyball was bigger by far than surfing like ever was. At its, yeah. At its height was like <laughs> right. a massive business. And yeah. it, not only did it crater the business and I, funny, I was just talking to somebody who was part of the beach volleyball or was a, was a pro in the circuit. And he was like, it was amazing. Right. But I guess it was all run by pro beach volleyball players. So the thing just, they didn't know how to do business. So it just cratered in itself, but it's not like it became something else. Right. It's not like, okay, now there's another tour. It just went away, right. which I could honestly see surfing. I mean, that was bigger than surfing. I think Yeah, went entirely away and, I, I could see that happening with pro surfing too, where it's it's honestly just a couple specialty events again. Yes, and there's there's no like the dream the idea of the dream tour 
dying, right? Where you go, like it used to be, you go yeah. surf a pipe, you surf a contest pipe, you surf a con- couple contests in Australia, you surf here and there, and the person with the most wins at the end, whatever wins. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I could see it going away. You know what I would pay for right now? I would pay like 30 bucks right now to see a four-man heat two hours long at Pipeline with Jamie O'Brien, Jack Robinson, uh, Kelly Slater, and Gabe Medina. Like I would like, why isn't somebody? Why isn't there a Red Bull out there that's just like going? Oh, by the way, I know. Let me back up. I know that some of those surfers I mentioned couldn't do it because they're affiliated with the WSL. But I don't care. Sure. You could get Jamie O'Brien. You could get Jack Robinson. You could get. Or let's. I mean, let's just throw out the non-compete. I mean, I don't understand why all of the surf contests are not invitationals. To be honest, I mean, I don't know the way golf works, but. Do you have to? I mean, clearly there's like a QS Golf's for golf, very, right? Yes. So you very similar. So you got to you got to come up through, yeah. and then, but, uh, yeah. How does golf? I mean, I guess they're just there. I, I, I'm stumbling here, but no, that's I'll okay. say it's like, just I, like the QS. You got to build up points. If you get enough points, they take the top ten guys and they get tour cards and they go on the main but who, tour. Like they should have a QS thing just for fun, I think, or whatever. Like for people to make a name for themselves. But I think it should all be invitational. I think if you're popular enough, if people want to see you. You know, Jamie O'Brien, if people want to still see Jamie surf pipe, which I think most people would, yeah. he should be at every event, right? Where, why have well, the events, every pipe event. Every I pipe don't want event. to see That's him at Trestle. Precisely, precisely. Yeah. He should be at pipe, though. Like, where? what if every stop was, you know, more or less invitational? You have the best people for those waves, the people you want to see, the the, and then you see the stinking heats, too, with the heat you want to see, right? Like, I want to yeah, see Medina. Yeah, it's just two hours, John John. and you're exactly. tuning in for two hours. Yep. Let me put on your TV production hat. You're an executive producer. Yeah. You got to make it's money out, off of this event. Somebody goes, "Okay, look, um, we're going to have an event at Pipeline. Um, who are the who are the four guys in the heat? You know." And so, as an event production guy, you're like going, and you're and you're not a surfer. You're kind of like, I don't know, um, executive producer guy. You're like Laird. Yeah, you know, like sure. Laird. I, would you? I, I might watch it. So I we would got totally Laird, watch it. Kelly Slater, Jamie O'Brien, and we need some young hotshot. How about Jack Robinson? You know? Sure. Like, that's kind of interesting. Now Laird's kind of. That's kind of out there. But I would totally watch that heat, wouldn't you? Yeah. And and I wouldn't even feel like it was a, a total abomination of the thing I love. I mean, that's the thing. No, I wouldn't even it's feel. eight-foot pipe. Yeah, it's eight-foot pipe. And yeah, and I would be excited to see how Laird stood up against. You know, I, I would I would completely tune into that. Yeah, and, and, and I'm just dumbfounded that this hasn't already happened. I like, don't. You know, what's stopping this from happening? I, I do not know. I think that the surfing, uh, like for my opinion at least, where it goes really wrong is when it considers itself a sport. And Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And to have a sport, then you have to have like a fair and legitimate way to crack in, right? And right. then once you're once you've done what you're supposed to do and get the points you're supposed to do, then you have to go, you know, you go on to this CT thing. But to me, that's where you're going wrong. And t- from the inception, right? Like I don't want to see a bunch of even if they're awesome, I don't want to see a bunch of no-name Brazilians like clogging the entire CT, right? Yeah. Like and nothing against Brazil. I don't want to see a bunch of no name. I don't want to see a bunch of workaday Americans doing it either. I don't want to see any of that. I want to see, you know, mercurial people mixed in with, you know, good people mixed in with workaday. Like I want, I want it's like the UFC to precisely, right? I want it hand selected. I want the card selected yeah. just like you do at the UFC. Like yeah. you, cause in the UFC you earn, uh, the right but you, it's not a guarantee, right? No. Like you have to you get be marketable. You have to be marketable. Yeah. Exactly. So why doesn't surfing? I don't do know. This? It's frustrating to me. I think one of the things is early on they were concerned about keeping um, a, the, of creating a program of talent that fed younger surfers through a system so that they could get to the level where they'd be Kelly Slater. Yeah. And that model, as you mentioned, is stupid. It's archaic. Yeah. 
Like, how about there's some hot kid that rips down at lowers. We're putting him in the event because he's, you know, he's proven his chops. Well, even even the kids who like aren't contest kids and aren't about to do the whole slog, right? But would be like even stinking Craig Anderson, right? Like, yes. I'd still like to see. I mean, I saw Craig in an event at Margaret River once. I thought it was uh, horrible. He was it was awful, but he was <laughs> so funny. Like, they went out and he was like, oh, it was it was at Main Break and it was just. It was, I think it was big and. See, he's I, one that I would say, I would, if I was a TV, if I knew what was going on, I'd go, I don't want Craig Anderson. Sure, exactly. Because I, I, I know he's not competitively geared. Precisely. Right? But throwing him out there for a minute even was more fun than watching <laughs> some kid who was going to actually do good, right? Like, some three to the beach. Kid exactly. It's kind of boring and vanilla. And that's, the th- I think with, uh, the way that the qualification, qualification stuff goes, I think if there was like surprises in there, it would be like, oh man, this kid came out of nowhere. Like, I think that happens in basketball a lot, right? Where you'll, the, the top five draft picks are fine usually, but sometimes they, you know, they do whatever. It's the guy who was drafted in the third round or, you know, even like some, some guy from Lithuania. Exactly. Like, and, oh, and then the guy's sinking threes all day long. Exactly. Everybody's yeah. shocked and surprised. That happens in basketball. That does not happen in surfing. Like, yeah. we've all seen these kids from birth till, you know, whatever surfing. And so it's not like somebody blows yours. I guess. Well, you know, it used to happen, as you may recall, Martin Potter is a great example. Exactly. He absolutely ripped, and everyone in South Africa knew it. And he but it was 1981 or whatever. And totally. No, there was no social media. So they're like, wow, this guy just beat Sean Thompson two times in a row. Yep. You know, like, uh, but I think it could, I wonder if you could pluck, if you could go down and pluck some kid just shredding in, you know, in Rio or something and throw him in a heat and have him just blow up on people, right? If you were looking, instead of saying, okay, you got to do this qualification thing, if you just started throwing untrained people into heats, if it wouldn't be fun, I think that I think it depends on the wave. Like yeah. I think it's certain waves, you know, like monstrous, mean, radical waves. You can find a hell charger guy that's just some like you could find some guy that's like a brick layer in Western Oz, that's exactly like thirty years old that just is known as the charger guy and go. Guess what? It's twelve foot of chopu. You're yep. in this heat. And yep. He'd probably be like, I'll give it a go, man. Yeah. You know, and he'd go. Which would like, be that so would be kind of cool. See, I thought about that before too. Having the like blue collar uh, surf tour also, <laughs> where you do have all the brickies and plumbers, and you know, all of just the workaday guys go out there and and have a minute in in the sun, right? Like, give them a proper like carve out heat at chopu, where it's like, okay, we're calling off the CT because we're gonna throw. You know the the workaday guys out there for a minute. Every I would watch that. I would be. I would love every second of that. Guys would just be getting hammered. Yeah. Uh, watching, watching, like, yeah, the tactics from like totally unsophisticated people or people who aren't used to it would be really, really fun to watch. I think. I agree, and and I'm again, I'm just. I'm sort of dumbfounded that there's not some company out there that's sort of loosely trying to figure out the surf space that's not like. And Red Bull always comes to mind because they got so much they have the money. money. Yeah, they have the money they, to do you it. Just do a specialty event, and they do already do specialty events, right? But they still have this, um, this sort of veneer of they're being controlled by the wrong people. I mean, Red something. Red Bull, like it just feels like a different version than the WSL to me. I mean, well, the problem with I think as I think about it, Chaz, is that Red Bull has team riders, so yeah. it's always like, oh, our team guys are in it, you know. Yeah, you you'd have I don't to have, want that. No, you'd have to have the a Rebel Tour would have to be unaffiliated to any brand or any. I mean, I guess it could be. What if it was like smokeless tobacco, that'd be perfect. <laughs> See, surfers like smokeless. Surfers like to chew. That would be crazy. That's a good idea. The way they have to surf with a chaw in their mouth, everybody oh, puking in the lineup. <laughs> Have you ever tried to surf with Chew? No, but the one time I did try it, I did puke. Yeah, it's it's a guarantee almost. Not good. Well, Chaz, we've covered a lot. Cocaine and surfing, a sordid history of surfing's greatest love affair. I bought this book 
I think it was on Yahoo or Amazon or where did I buy this book? It's it's Amazon. You, it's it was it was on for early presale. I pre I pre bought it. Did it come late? Even though you pre bought it, it did. It sold out within the first three hours. I don't know how many they they might, yeah. maybe they ordered twenty and they sold twenty in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's back in stock. Great book. Um, and and it feels like we've talked about a lot. I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Did we miss anything? I feel real good about it. I mean, yeah. It was a real pleasure to sit across the mic yeah. from you. Thank you. Likewise. Feelings mutual. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say, I was really wondering who was going to be more handsome across the mic, you or David Lee. He's got the chop hop, though. He has the chop hop, but I think <laughs> you have the bone structure. That, that, You've got large nostrils. Yeah, it's good. It's good for cocaine. My nose is very similar to Michael Thompson. See, maybe that's what I'm. That's what I'm <laughs> sensing over here. <laughs> oh, we'll just let the audience figure that one out. <laughs> okay, well, good. Until um, hopefully we'll meet again soon with the microphones, um, and I'm sure I'll see you around town. Until next time. Aloha. Thank you so much. This ever-changing world in which we live in Makes you give in and cry Say live and let die
At the Boardroom International Surfboard Show, I believe and we believe that surfboards and surfboard builders are the keystones to our culture. Think Brewer, McTavish, Lopez, MR, Merrick, et al. It makes sense that the Boardroom Podcast uses these keystones as jumping off points for insightful, entertaining, and informative dialogue. I'm hosting these long-form interviews with knowledgeable, insightful folk, and the podcast focuses on two things, waves and the equipment to ride them with. You'll hear from and about shapers, board builders, designers, innovators, wave pool experts, surf travel experts, surf industry people, and the like. You can find this podcast on iTunes or surfsplendorpodcast.com or boardroomshow.com. I am no stranger to the microphone, although it may sound like it at times. I've been hosting Surf Talk for 13 years. In 2005, it began at Surfer Magazine. I was the editorial director there. I should say online editorial director. And during that time, I started an internet radio show called In the Lineup. This was before podcasts. It was called Internet Radio. I then drew the interest of some San Diego terrestrial radio market people and was co-host of Off the Lip on Free FM in San Diego. A few years later, Extra Sports 1360 brought me over for a show called Down the Line. In 2013, I began co-hosting Down the Line Surf Talk with David Lee Scales. That show evolved into Spit, which David and I deliver twice monthly via iTunes. In addition, I now produce this new show, The Boardroom Podcast, a one-on-one interview format pod. I have a loyal, international, target-rich audience of engaged, educated, and employed listeners. And episodes with Dennis Jarvis, Mark Price, Scott Anderson, and Chris Christensen already available for your listening pleasure. The Boardroom Show podcast is looking for sponsors. If you're interested, I'd like to chat with you about this unique marketing opportunity. Please shoot me an email, scott at surfboardshow.com. Thanks so much, and enjoy the podcasts.